Mr. Robot Season 3 is over, and soon, too, will be our coverage of Mr. Robot Season 3. It's the final Mr. Robot Season 3 podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler. I am joined here, as always, by Antonio Mazzaro. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. And we are also joined here by another great friend of this podcast who is not only saying goodbye to Season 3 of Mr. Robot, but saying goodbye to Mr. Robot, Cora Donna. Is this my fault because of giving you so much grief about Mobley and Trenton? It is all your fault, Josh. (laughs) But you are still a friend. So, hello, friends. And um, a sad goodbye, friends, too. That's a... that is a sad moment. It's a. Uh, it's going to be. Uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting journey moving forward because it's kind of like, I've you know we've been a part of this Mr. Robot family from the beginning for the last three years. So uh, it is. Uh, I'm I'm conf- conflicted about it, but I think it's a. Uh, I think it's a good. I think it's a good move. All right. For, uh, well, my <laughs> this is going to be a, a robot wake is uh, what is about <laughs> about to transpire here. For those of you who are just joining in, welcome, friends. It's great to have you here. This is the second time we've had Cora Donna on this podcast, one of the writer-producers on Mr. Robot, who I've been doing weekly columns with over on THR. And you've been with the show from the jump, right? And yes. uh, these, day, um, these days are ending. These days are over. For those who have not heard the news, uh, this was your last last season on mr robot you dropped that bomb on me i was so surprised i know and i was i was i was thinking about whether or not i should drop the bomb in whether that was the correct medium to drop the bomb in and uh i just decided to go for it and use it as a as a way to thank a lot of people who i don't thank enough and there are so many people that i can't you know i don't have the time to thank too it's it's just such a it's such a beautiful collaboration on this show um and like i said in the column our cast and crew is just wonderful and they really are the best in the business and i'm i'm sad to go but i'm also excited about the future and uh unfortunately i can't give you too much uh detail about what's to come only that my hope is that um sometime soon we're doing a podcast about something else that's okay. all I can say nice uh, but i but it, it is it is uh it is a little bittersweet and uh in fact i had to, i said goodbye to sam and kyle and uh you know you know that the season four writers room is is they have like a pre like mini room up and running right now open so for business um, open for business and it's kind of weird not being in there and knowing that they're breaking story for season four and fleshing out ideas that we that we talked briefly about um you know in the the past writers rooms and uh it's a it's a weird feeling it's uh it definitely is uh it'll it'll be interesting i'm excited were you doing any informal work on season four um not really i mean i talked to there are a couple of new people in the room so uh you know I, I had some very general conversations with them, but there's no, uh, there wasn't any informal work done partially because there's so much post work to be done on season three. Uh, we were just working really hard to get that finale, that finale delivered in time. So, um, it was crazy cause we had all of our editors working on the finale and we had the season four writers in the same building, um, breaking overall story for season four. So it was like these two siloed efforts and Sam was jumping back and forth between, <laughs> between both of them i'm sure his head his head was spinning so uh that man likes crazy though like he 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 lives an insane lifestyle so he's got to be used to it on some level it would almost be like weird for him if it was a streamlined uh streamlined gig that does not feel like a good fit for him 
No, no, he's uh, he's great, um, and uh, it's uh, it's 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 uncanny the amount of work he's able to take on and actually execute uh, execute well. So it's um, it's I'm excited to see what he and the rest of the team have in store for season four and um, some of some of Sam's other projects that he has going. You know, he has Homecoming right. going at the same time too. So it is insane. It's 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 literally insane. Um, but I do have a question for you guys. Sure. I know you guys usually ask me the questions, but I'm going to... No, this I is like a reverse this. interview. You get to interview it's us this time. Interview. Yeah. I'm going to topsy-turvy this thing right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, three seasons of Mr. Robot. And this is a very Sam Esmail question, by the way. He asks all of his writers this. He asks everyone oh on the crew. Oh, my God. So, I'm going to ask it to you guys, since you guys feel like you're part of the family. Wow. Um, First of all, I just need a moment to absorb to absorb that. <laughs> we've just been we've just been welcomed into the family, Antonio. We made it. Our son may be dead, but look at us. We're part. We hey, have. If that's we have, what it took, I'm, have, I'm all for it. We have new family now. Josh, are you asking for another moment to center yourself right uh, now? Yeah, we don't need to get into that. Some technical difficulties <laughs> leading into the podcast. How many uh, Mr. Robot fans slash podcasters slash writers does it take to get Josh Wiggler to figure out Skype? Don't answer the don't answer the question. Okay, ask the question. I, I would, I would love okay, to. Okay, I have this a couple questions. Yes, but the first one is favorite episode of the season and least favorite episode of the season. Ooh. Antonio, I'm going to throw it to you. Well, I'm going to do my favorite first, and then you can do what you want to do. My favorite, I believe, I have to say, three eight is my favorite, uh, and I think it might be my favorite of the whole series. We talked about it on the podcast. Just the, I, I, you can't take it on its own, standalone, but you you have to evaluate it in its placement with all that has come before it in season three. The emotional moments of five, the intensity of five, the way you guys built that so well, and the way the the emotions really built in six in a very different way with the editing, uh, and then just everything that happened in seven and all of that coming home to roost in Elliot in episode eight. It was so beautiful. It felt very personal in a lot of ways. It felt like that was a, there was a lot of personal elements in that story. I just, I felt like that was the most beautiful episode of Mr. Robot ever. Uh, and certainly my favorite of the season. And I think going, looking back at season three, I still feel that way. And it's, it's one that stayed with me and it will continue to do so. I think it's a good answer. Very good answer. Josh, my least favorite was three seven because you killed my son. <laughs> and we we've been through that. I've apologized. <laughs> you still haven't forgiven me for that. Okay, that's fair. I love three seven, by the way. And I and I and I talked about this on, on the podcast. We have a very somber podcast after that episode, naturally. Uh, but we talked about why it was so awful was because like the you know really like forcing us like even though you don't see the triggers pulled, um, you see everything leading right up to it, and you see. And you see the aftermath right you see everything but the trigger being pulled so and in those um, moments like you're really thinking like there is still a shot like there is you know like these guys aren't really going to kill trenton and mobley here are they and then once it's once it's now clear that they are they are dead and like they died in that moment like it was just so horrible to confront their their active greatest fear which has been their active greatest fear for you know a full season or two at this point um you know by the time that they get there and to be with them in their harrowing final moments was just so 
so unsettling, so upsetting. Um, so I'm only saying 3-7 is my least favorite, basically as a joke, and also because you've put a gun in my hand and forced <laughs> me to put it to my head and forced me to name one of these as my least favorite. I couldn't really do that. Uh Core season three was ridiculous. This was a great, great season of TV. And I guess to throw it to you, like, do you guys know when, like, you've got it? Like, do you know in, in like, the in the room and, and as producers and as these things are coming together and even before these episodes are uncorked and unleashed on the world, like, do you walk away from these being like, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, we got it. We, we, we nailed this one. Season three, pretty tops. So I, I can't speak for the other writers and the other writer producers in the room or for Sam, uh, but f- for myself, I know that I don't really feel like we've got it until very, very late in the process. And I'm watching a cut and it's sometimes like the, our, one, one of our final cuts or it might be in the mix. And I have this kind of visceral um like biological response when I'm watching something that's re- that's really touching to me. Um, and this has happened throughout my entire life. It's part of the reason why I wanted to pursue this um, because I wanted to be able to create something that would elicit that kind of response in, in other people. Um, and it's kind it's, it's a very weird feeling when it's something that you've worked on and that you've helped create and it's happening to you as if you're like this third party viewer and you're removed from the creation of it. And there were a couple moments in this season uh, where I felt that, where I got, you know, I got the chills and I got goosebumps. And, you know, it's, it's those moments that you're really engrossed in television and you're alone, but you're like clapping or you're screaming at the screen or you're crying or or, you know, you got butterflies in your stomach and you can't really contain your emotions. And it's from, from, from what you guys have told me, uh, I feel like you, you've, you've experienced some of those, especially in 308 and may, maybe in the finale. Um, but there were, there were key moments in this season um, near the end of post where I was feeling that. And I was like, all right, uh, this is working. Like whether or not everyone else feels, feels the same way I'm feeling right now while I'm watching this. And, and luckily they did. But in that moment, whether or not they do, I know that I'm really, really proud of the work that we've all done on this season. And I felt that way with, you know, episodes in season one, with episodes in season two and with this last season. So it's really hard um, to tell, to, to, and then we talked about this a little bit in the column. It's really hard to gauge uh, on the page what it's going to be, yeah, because it changes so much. Like you, there's so there are endless amounts of there's an endless amount of notes coming from the studio, the network, production notes, uh, budget restraints, um, and then once we start in pre-production, you know, location location scouting dictates script changes. Like there's so many things that change um, on the page. So even if there's something that you're really happy with on the page, uh, it might you know it, it once once you execute it or once you shoot it, it might not be the same. It might have a different feeling. It might evolve into something else. And that happens with every single episode. Um, and luckily with this season, we had a lot of episodes where uh, I had that feeling and I felt like I was just a civilian viewer watching this show. And, and, and it all comes back to character and it all comes back to execution and um, just everyone kind of just bringing their A game from 
the the stylistic choices and how we shoot it, the editing choices, the music choices, and the performances. Um, and I, I think I, I I think we really d- did a great job this season, and I'm just so proud of of everyone's work. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong in assuming that you guys had this kind of emotional response because uh, I'm just I'm just uh, speculating here. No, you speculate correctly, as Antonio uh, will attest. In a, I'm sure right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I was just thinking while you were saying that, Cor, when you're watching, whether it's a rough cut or earlier mix or something like that, it's funny because there are, I I think of these moments and maybe it's De Niro entering the bar in Mean Streets or like there's these moments in film and TV where the needle drop or the song choice impacts so greatly that emotional, visceral response because it taps in visually and from just from an auditory perspective to something that's within you. And it's funny, Mr. Robot has those great moments whether it's you're picking a song like a needle drop type moment, like a song or it's a score. But Mr. Robot also manages to elicit those emotions just in the way that it's it shot and the way that it's staged in the performances. So it, it's really aces all around because this is a show for me that that is able to elicit those moments in every single way that you possibly can. It doesn't it doesn't feel like they're ginned up by virtue of tapping into something that is uh, that is already going to elicit that emotion. Uh, it seems like the choices that are made from a soundtrack point like the M83 in this finale uh, they, they have that yeah. yeah they have that it connects to something it's not just a choice that is connecting in or that is resonating in that one scene it resonates throughout the course of the series so it just feels like this is a show where the choices that are made there's a lot of there's a lot of secondary level thought that goes into it and that does not go unappreciated certainly on an emotional level by me yeah That's- yeah, 100%. I, I think that that's, that's – you, you said exactly how I've been feeling like. And I, and I said this to you, Cor, on the, uh, on the podcast that you came on earlier in the season uh, was just like the level of uh, discomfort that I felt after the execution of stage two. Like that was so palpable. Uh, I felt so deeply like bone-chillingly anxious. And it like lasted with me for <laughs> a good little while after, after viewing that episode. And through 308 when we finally you know certainly 307 is yet another gut punch and uh, I really wasn't prepared for that but at the time that that gut punch hit it was kind of like like, it's like getting your ass kicked after you've just gotten your ass kicked Uh, and 308 just kind of like made me feel hope again and like it was it was crazy to me how much that like matched my mood in reality in like the day-to-day living between viewings Uh, like I found myself like anxious and wrecked in the weeks following watching uh five six and seven and then eight comes along and i felt myself with like this you know huge upswing of like no things can be okay we might be all right here and there's still a shot uh and great art does that you know great art really makes you furious it makes you elated uh it makes you uh excited to be alive it makes you fearful to be alive i had a very visceral reaction for instance um to the end of twin peaks this year uh to twin peaks the return i will never forget how that made me feel in some of the episodes along the way the leftovers another show that antonio and i covered thoroughly uh 
made us feel very similarly. I think I speak for you, Antonio, in that. For sure. Uh, and and Robot really, really makes me feel that way. Uh, a lot of great television came out this year, and season three of Mr. Robot, as far as I'm concerned, is in the conversation of the truly, truly great seasons of TV that we got to experience. And as Antonio said, I think a lot of that is because, especially if you're paying attention, if you're really digging into it, if you are really, you know, if your eyes and your ears are all over it from the jump of this show, so much, so much of it is just like weaving in and out of each other. Uh, you know, like the like the music choices, you know, character callbacks. Um, it, it's, it's it's so great. interesting being on, being on the creative side of it um, because it's like we we obviously are writing and writing towards certain reveals and we're writing towards certain emotional uh, turns. And uh, we, you know, we want the viewer to experience these emotions as they're on this journey with, with Elliot and our other characters, but there's only so much you can get from the page. And like, even when you have a finished script, I, I don't like any, no, there were none of the scripts in season three that made me cry when I, when I finished reading them and it was just because I was there helping massage them and tweak them and giving notes and rewriting and doing endless revisions. But it, it's kind of like what you said, when, when everyone brings another element to it that adds to the emotional resonance of it and, and, and strengthens it and magnifies it, uh, it's Rami's performance. It's a music cue or a needle. It's a music cue from Mac that really elicits some kind of response on a gut level or it's a it's a needle drop that one of our editors or sam picked and when you see all those actually come together in the mix or when you see all them come together in post and that's why i'm referring to that moment because that's where all those things are working in tandem with each other whereas at the script level you only got what you know the subtext that you could read into it and the context that you know that you're bringing to the to, to that session that reading session of what you know about the show and what you know about rami and what you're assuming he's going to do on the day and how todd campbell's going to film it yeah um there's there's so much speculation going on and then you finally see it and and I'm so glad you brought up M- M83 because I felt exactly like you guys. Like I had that song on repeat for a good week while we were delivering that final episode. And same with um, the Robbie Rob track from 308. Like it's th- these once these things come together, it, it and it, it's it, it, it truly is magical. And it's so satisfying and fulfilling from this side of, from from this side of the creative process to know that it's working and it's resonating uh w- with our audience and it's resonating with you guys um because so many other people are are deriving what they think whatever meaning they think it, whatever they're gathering from the script or from the dailies or from the cut and they're contributing their own experiences to it or they're contributing an idea to help to help make to help strengthen it and, and and magnify that feeling. So it's 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 really just a wonderful process. I mean, it's it's so much hard work and such a and such a um, intense collaboration that when when you finally get that response, it's uh, it's unlike anything. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing a shit job of explaining how oh. how, how satisfying it is, but it, I'm trying to, to try and convey how how awesome it is it, it's 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 and it really does uh it means a lot when, when when i hear something like that from you guys so thank you so much for, yeah. for the kind words yeah well you know thank you guys for doing this <laughs> you know, thank, <laughs> right. thank, thank you guys for making this show that has really uh has been challenging and has been exciting and has been visceral and you know propulsive and just thrilling and contemplative it, you know there's so much 
much that's going on with Mr. Robot. Um, you know, season two gets its fair share of licks, I think, from from some people where, like, you know, if they were really hooked in on season one, and I know in, like, my daily life, I have a lot of people who were really, really in on Mr. Robot in season one who are just, like, kind of casual, like, fair-weather TV watchers who felt, like, a little lost in the weeds in the early going of season two, and just because peak TV, they couldn't keep up because there's just too much to watch right now. Uh, And, like, I constantly tell these people, like, you are, you've made, you've chosen poorly. You chose poorly, and now you people are going to turn to ash because you drank from the wrong cup. Like, you should be, (laughs) you should still be in on this. And And Antonio and I both are way in on season two. I think that season two accomplished so much important character work. It really deepened the characters uh, in a way that was just tremendous. There's some stylistic flourishes and music choices and just um, shot constructions that are and, and editing choices that are so spectacular in that season as well. But it really all brought us to this most recent act, which was just, for me, transcendent. Um, and I would love to, to turn it to you. You know, the question that's kind of raging right now among Mr. Robot fans is like, was this the best season of Mr. Robot? What are your feelings on the matter? Do you think that season three was the best season of Mr. Robot? Or are you too close to, to say? I think I'm too close to say. To say. It's, it's hard for me to pick a best season. Uh, I mean, I if you guys think you know, Mobley is, is your child, right? Uh, I feel like each season is, is, is a child of mine, so it's hard for me to pick one over the other. Oh, sweet, but Antonio, I, so we have to kill one of the seasons of Mr. Robot. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want this task. No. I, eye for an eye. I, I refuse. An eye. I refuse. All right, I'll do it on my own. How, wait, how come Trenton's not getting any love? I love Trenton. I love Trenton. Big fan of Trenton. Mobley just happens to be our child. Like, I'm yeah, very... Trenton, Trenton has the fortunate uh, situation that she doesn't look like a combination of the two like of us. Guys. Right, right. Okay. Very fortunate for Thank, her. Thankfully, yeah. Yes. Fair enough. But, but I will say this about the, the complaints about season two. And I mean, we, <clears throat> I'm going to steal an analogy from one of our, uh, one of our great editors, John Pattaya, who actually cut the finale. Um, and he, the way he phrases this, cause this comes up in posts sometimes, and we've had this talk. Um, and the way he phrases it is you can't, enjoy the the downward fall of a roller coaster without the climb up uh it can't just all be free fall it can't you know you have to have your turns you have to have your weight you have to go up the hill it takes it takes a little bit of time build some tension and then you have that 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 extreme fall and like you can't it can't be like not every episode can be 306 you know what i mean you can't it just doesn't work. The time that it takes to deepen these characters and understand these motivations and really flesh out the rest of our supporting cast around Elliot in season two is precisely the reason why season three is so effective, in my opinion. Agreed. If we did take the time to do that, I don't think you would have this reaction with season three. Season three would be a lot of a lot of style and no substance. And I think season three has a very good, I think actually all, all the, all the seasons have a good mix of, of, of substance and style. Um, but in terms of, of pacing, which I understand, I, I think, I think the complaint was, it was things moved a little bit too slow and we had some longer episodes early in season two, but I think, I think they were necessary. I, I do think they were necessary. And uh, this, this, this touches on something else we talked about in, in one of our columns where um 
and it's not and it's partially a pacing thing but it's more of a clarity thing uh and i talked a little bit about a story engine and a north star and for season one, it was abundantly clear that our mission for the season was to hack E-Corp. And we have these targets. We have the Chinese data center. We have Steel Mountain. We have offsite uh, tape backups. Like we, we have these things that we can latch onto and say, here, our ragtag, our ragtag group of hackers are going to go after these things and they're going to take down this major corporation. That was very easy to latch onto. Season two didn't have that as clear because we were trying to deepen the characters and we took the time to deepen the characters. And I think season three has a good mix of both. And it finds a delicate, delicate balance of both because um, we're paying off a lot of what we set up in season two. And we do have that story engine. We do have that North star of undoing the hack from Elliot's perspective. So I think um, the, the way I would, the way I would answer that is like there, there, there are elements of season seasons one and two in three, and I think that's probably why it feels so satisfying, uh, because everything that you loved about season one and two is is is, is evident um, in, in this in this in this most recent season. So I don't know if that that resonates with you or yeah. if you if you disagree, definitely. I'd love to take uh, on it. it. It's not even really worth picking that apart because I think that I'm I'm completely on board with that. All I would add is like uh, I can't even tell you how many times like Antonio and I we have talked about how incredible Scott Knowles burning the the cash. I was just, I've been thinking this whole time about Phil Collins. Like I'm yes. take me home. I can't <laughs> hear like that our, song. This, without it's like our favorite scene of the whole show. <laughs> thinking of five point nine million dollars being yeah. burned. Like yeah, like, that's got to be uh, that. That is one of our top. It's 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 one of our top five. Uh, needle drops we, we have that discussion too what's your favorite needle drop in the whole series so i'm going to throw that to you guys since we're since i can ask you some questions this time what's is that your favorite needle drop of the entire series that's well when you were talking about yeah. those moments i that's the one that immediately came to my mind it's so fantastic just uh, the way it, i mean i i really like how it's natural like it's in the background of the scene it's on somebody's radio at the site and it gradually gets louder and louder uh, so that first you hear it on the background in a radio and then it just builds throughout the scene, the, the way that the volume increases, and I really like the way that that, that scene is edited. Uh, not quite like a like a spaghetti western type, but there's a lot of these cuts to like quick cuts to to close ups of faces, yeah. and the pacing of that, the editing in that scene, it really works well with the way that song is building. The fire licking the freedom tower, like uh, it just hold me and burn the money, like it just really, really. I mean, I know that that first episode of season two was was split into two parts. We had the intermission for the second episode to be begin that way uh the second part i just thought wow what a statement like what a what a what a way to start that second half uh if this is what we're in for this season we're in for a real treat i also really liked uh i think there was it, it doesn't the uh isn't there a sound cue from one flew over the cuckoo's nest that plays uh when elliot is in the jail i really like that yeah, as well I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that happens I, I really remember thinking that that was fantastic that's awesome. Yeah, I, I know that uh, Phil Collins is one of our favorites, one of Sam's favorites. And one of our writers, um, Adam Penn, uh, 
he he always whenever I talk to him, he's he still he still says to this day that that's his favorite moment in the entire series thus far. It's a valid um, valid pick. And it might I, be mine. Yeah. It might be mine. <laughs> well, it speaks to you know. I think it speaks to like why season two is underrated, and I think it speaks to the strength of the show. That that's a scene with Scott Knowles is the centerpiece of that <laughs> show, and like that's no disrespect to Brian Stokes Mitchell, who's phenomenal in the in the role and has delivered some really tremendous stuff along the way with like even um that scene in season one where that's the look that i was looking for you know just some really (laughs) great moments from that character but that's a character that didn't appear in season three except you know as an aside as a mention and uh is somebody who as for all intents and purposes right now is inactive and somebody who you're not really thinking about so much and mr robot is populated with figures like that where i think that you walked away from season one and yeah they're definitely a bunch of compelling characters but it really is the elliot and robot show and now it that world has expanded so much um in a way that uh you know we do think about like uh, like again like antonio it's it's amazing like you and i were thinking about the same exact scene you know as core was speaking like we were both thinking about scott knowles burning the money uh i think that that is my favorite needle drop though just you know an hour before that there's another phenomenal one with the daydream uh sequence in uh at the at the start of season two um it's all over the place yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. You bring up a good point because season one was so purely in Elliot's perspective and a, a major theme for the Elliot arc is this notion of realization and realizing like, you know, a, a lot of us as viewers were able to call it before he figured it out. But figuring out that Mr. Robot is real is, is not real and is, you know, carries the same likeness as his father. Uh, and in season two. Obviously, we we delve into this 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 notion of them you know them battling for control, right? And you can't if we were to to just purely be in Elliot's perspective for the entire season and not spend the time to kind of flesh out and deepen these other characters while he's battling Robot, I think the show would have been unwatchable. Uh, I, I think just because we made because the story took us in that direction and and that did feel like the organic place to take it once he realizes that he has to deal with this other side, this other psyche. Um, that, that that's that's vying for control uh you know that would that would get very old very quickly so it, it did it did allow us to have the season two really allowed us to have that time to to spend to spend these uh to, to kind of break perspective a little bit more and spend more time with other characters and and especially especially angela and darlene and other members of f society and in in season three uh it it was interesting because we wanted to explore like what if Elliot did get his wish that he wanted from season two? What if he could do away with robot? What if he didn't hear that scream in his mind anymore? What if that presence was completely gone, but not in the way that he expected, meaning he has to now share this body with Mr. Robot, but they can't really communicate with each other. What does that look like? And what does that look like in the wake of all the destruction that he caused at the end of season one? So, Again, it's like it's and Josh, we, we talk a lot about this, about trying to find the most organic place to take the story and, and take the, and, and the, or, the most organic place to take these characters and what would they actually do in these situations. So uh, it, if you if you're tracking the arcs of seasons one through three, um, it just kind of makes sense that you would have that you that you would have to spend the time to to develop those other characters because 
you're gonna you can't you can't stay with Elliot this whole time. Uh, it, it just it, the story wouldn't work. It didn't feel like that's where the story wanted to go. And in a way, the story is kind of dictating to us where it needs to go. And we're just trying to do it justice, if that makes sense. I want to tie two and three together just a, a little bit more. So uh, to to take it from starting with season three first and uh, a reveal in the finale, which uh, I thought was uh, especially poignant and a really nice note that I didn't really expect that we were building toward was this conversation between Elliot and Robot, um, you know, in the in the subway station mirroring season one and this mm-hmm. revelation that as much as I hate to admit it, like, yeah, there's a lot of me inside of you, Elliot, but like there's some Elliot inside of Mr. Robot as well. Like there is there are pieces of him that are um, that are powerfully embedded within the Mr. Robot side of his personality. And I thought that that was just, um, you know, Antonio and I, you and I, we've talked a lot about uh, Mr. Robot as like id incarnate and like the just the pure primal rage side of Elliot Alderson. And I especially felt like, you know, pretty strongly that that's the case, that there is not uh, there. There is no redemptive quality to this other side of Elliot. This is his dark half. And I think that that notion for me has been dealt away with a little bit here by the end of season three. And potentially the joke's going to be on me. And this, you know, this this guy is just such a successful con man that I'm being duped here. But it feels authentic when he is talking to Elliot and saying, like, I want us to keep talking no matter what you do. I, I want to still be here. And to thread it to, to season two, uh, and just as we've been talking about these two seasons in tandem over the past, uh, you know, several minutes, it makes me think back to um, the sitcom sequence of season yeah, two. Bring that up. Yeah. Yep. And so, you know, um, the whole reason that Elliot is in that world is so Mr. Robot is taking the the physical beating that is being unleashed upon Elliot in that moment in reality. Um, And shortly thereafter, Mr. Robot shows what appear to be his quote-unquote true colors uh, once Elliot is uh, released from prison, and it now very quickly becomes apparent that Mr. Robot has still been working toward something with the Dark Army and still building toward uh, what we now know to be stage two. Um, Given what we know, should we like? Was there was there some love there? Was that an act of love? Like, were are we too quick to jump to that was just a calculated move to kind of woo Elliot into into like a, and lure him into a false sense of security? Have you guys been operating in the writing of this character for a while? That robot does actually have some genuine love and affection for Elliot. Well, it it's interesting because when you're talking about someone who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. And if you, uh, if you research the condition a little bit, you'll see that the identities that are formed take uh, the form of these different kind of archetypes or these figures that will be the protector. Like one is the protector. One could be the victim. One could be, you know, representative of some other element that, 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 that the, that the person needs in order to, to somehow deal with some kind of past trauma. Right. So in our minds, robot was always there to kind of take control and protect Elliot. Uh, And when I say Elliot, I mean that, that body that is Elliot. So it's like, Whenever I look at that scene, that sitcom scene in in season two, I thought he was being sincere. 
And of course it worked toward uh, some ulterior motive later on in the season. And he has some other tricks up his sleeve, but I believe in that moment that both can be true, that he is, he's, if he's keeping things from Elliot, it's not because he's completely against him. It's because he knows that Elliot isn't strong enough to deal with it. So he needs to take the reins. He needs to take control and do it himself and kind of baby Elliot in a way and move him along. And there's a a great line in our finale in this season where he says, I don't know, like, I don't know why that he says, that's not why I exist. Only, you know, why I exist. Right. Meaning he can't even comprehend. Like he doesn't know all the details of what happened to that led to the creation of himself. Uh, but he knows what his role is and he's been through enough with Elliot over these past three seasons, keeping things secret from him, betraying him, battling him, taking the hits for him, um, uh, not being able to speak with him. And he's grown to this point and he's evolved as a character, uh, to this very sincere heartfelt moment that you're referencing in the finale where, uh, I think that, he, he has that realization even more so of, you know, I want us to be together. I want us to be a team. I don't want to go through what we just went through again. Um, we, we've tried that and it doesn't work. Uh, let, let, you know, make me this promise and I will give you what you want. And we thought there was something beautiful in that. And, uh, in season two, I think that there is a little bit of, there, there's some, there are some shades of that. And I, and I do feel it's sincere. So I would go, I would go back and if you weren't perceiving it as sincere, I would, I would, I would urge a rewatch and watch it with that because even, you know, I know we make light of like the whole, uh, the the sitcom we really lean into like the the bob saget full house like i'm gonna teach like you're gonna now now it's like the heartfelt message portion of the show right we're gonna uh, get out a very special episode of mr robot yeah (laughs) but there is something there and it's uh, and it's emotionally relevant and i'm so glad that you brought that up because i was going to bring that up when you when you started talking about the subway scene um uh and it's uh it's it's a beautiful it's a beautiful arc for the Mr. Robot character uh, in my view. I think it's it's a great place to take him and kind of like what we talked about in the column. It sets the stage for integration. And uh, if season three was all about disintegration, uh, I can assume that where the story is gonna is gonna head is is to a place of um, them trying to integrate more so. And and we haven't really seen that yet. We have we've never seen Mr. Robot and Elliot sincerely working together. And I think that's something that is um, it's an exciting prospect. It's especially interesting to consider all that, though, in light of the fact that Elliot has this other revelation really moments before he has this subway conversation with Mr. Robot, which is that he wasn't pushed out the window, that his father didn't push him, push him out the window, that he did jump. We saw young Elliot in the movie theater in the flashback earlier this season take the Mr. Robot jacket and shush himself in the theater or probably more likely shush the Mr. Robot character or shush some other character, perhaps, uh, who was protecting him in that moment from the horror of the fact that his father had just died in front of him. But now it seems like maybe if Mr. Robot is his protector, if there really is a sincerity there, I'm not sure what the window scene even is in light of that. Now we're we're already talking about a different version of the window scene that Darlene witnessed. Elliot picks up the baseball Mm -hmm. bat, destroys the room, uh, much like he probably destroyed the server room at the previous job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I just don't know. I, I think it's fascinating to think about what was causing him to to behave that way if it wasn't Mr. Robot, or if it was Mr. Robot, how does that read as protection? It, you're right, the rewatch or to take things through with the lens of the finale, knowing what we know now, is always something that Mr. Robot has really rewarded, whether it was in season one or in season two, whether it's knowing that Philip Price is Angela's father now, we can go back and look at the scenes between them in the first season and the second season and read those intentions they do read really well we talked about that before the reveal in the finale on this podcast but i do think that the uh the revelation that robot maybe uh, has not always been at odds with elliot or robot had his own goals but robot has not been there to attack elliot i think it's uh it's fascinating to think about what we know about the window scene now for well, sure well, i'm glad that you bring up the window scene and the price angela father reveal uh in the same breath because there is something that really and obviously not all of this was planned from the beginning of season one. We, we you know, as we riffed and and really uh, delved deep into this story, we 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 discovered a lot of this on our own. Uh, but there's something really amazing about the fact that these small familial ties or these small, like very small familial conflicts lead to the huge problems that are evident on a, on, on like a world stage in the world um, in the show of Mr. Robot. Uh, you have, uh, you know. Elliot being Elliot throwing himself out of a window for some reason. And you have, uh, price, uh, you know, getting together with, uh, Emily Moss and, you know, giving birth to Angela Moss. Like these are all little things that end up, uh, that end up dictating major turns and creating major conflict in, uh, later on down the line. So we really love the idea of, of leaning into that, into that notion that, um, and, and you'll see this crop up a lot in season three and we, and we made some, maybe not so we made some, we made some on the nose references to, you know, back to the future and, and the notion and the notion that how one problem or how one mistake can change the effects can, can, can have a massive, uh, have a drastic change on, on, on the world. And, uh, that's, that's kind of what, what, what turned us on about it. I think that's as much as I can say about the window scene, um, without getting into Fidelio territory. Uh, but it's, uh, it, it is something that we, uh, that, that we're definitely excited about. Believe me, I get it. I think every day about what would have happened if president Obama didn't diss Donald Trump at the correspondence dinner. Well, where, where, we, where would we be as a nation right now? Yeah, if that... we're, still, we're still paying for that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks a lot, president. Thanks Obama. Thanks yeah. Obama. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. Yeah, I didn't mean to trigger anybody there, no. but no, I, I you, small things have, have huge impacts for sure. And, uh, the Philip price element of this is something that I, that I definitely am, am tuned into because this is a person who was in the position, like I, we joked on the show, like Angela of season one is in such a horrible position that she's in, in part because of student loan debt. Her actual father is one of the richest men in the world. Like, can you help somebody out yeah, here? Like, maybe think about it. But, but think about it. The end of season one, there's that notion, there's that moment where he, she gets the job at, at E Corp, right? She walks into the shoe store and she's so fucking terrible to that salesman and like you see the dark side of angela come out and you're and you're like wow like that's interesting where did that come from and then you skip ahead to season three and you and you learn that philip price is her father and and you're thinking back you're like wow okay is is this does this kind of 
power does this evil run through her blood like yeah is that where she got it from so it, it does kind of uh that that re- that revelation reshapes everything that you see that you you thought you knew about angela leading up to this point and that's it's, it's a lot of fun so uh i'd love to you know i i think it's the Philip Price reveal is is a great reveal, and the Michael Christopher performance in that scene, especially, is just tremendous. Of course, Portia is fantastic too, but that's really just it's a side of Philip Price we haven't seen in forever. Um, it's seen ever rather. Uh, what's interesting to me is. So this is something that like Antonio and I, we were tracking that uh, over the course of these podcasts. I think that we we felt like we were on the hunt for uh, this particular reveal and we were rewarded where it was confirmed to us, this theory that was confirmed. Um, and Mr. Robot has a relationship with this uh, to turn it back to season two once again. A lot of people were hip to the to the prison reveal um, in season two, uh, you know, several episodes before it's actually revealed on the show. We talked before about... Um, Elliot and Mr. Robot being the same person and that being a big reveal in season one and maybe some people sniffing around that issue as well. Uh, first of all, was there anything in season three, uh, any like major moments in season three that you, core happened to see people getting early, like figuring out earlier on in the process? I would just be curious about um, what you were tracking in that regard. And the other thing I would ask is, like, does that lessen any of the impact of the show for you when people figure these things out before the show reveals it? Is it a testament to um, fan interest? Is it a testament to the level of excitement and investment that the viewers are placing in the show that they want to figure these things out? Basically, like, should this podcast exist? <laughs> like, you know, is this podcast <laughs> is this po- is yes. this, is this podcast helpful uh, or is it detrimental to the show? And just like to even blow that up larger rather than being so vain and being specifically about us. Just like, where do you think we are in that tension between community around a show and a show being allowed to perform its business? Well, uh, first of all, I think you, you're doing a great service with this podcast. I think this podcast should... It truly exist. wasn't fishing, I swear. <laughs> I swear to God. I swear to God. <laughs> but it's... it's. I mean, in a, in a weird way, you're asking... You're asking it's it's interesting that you're asking me this question because I'm obsessed with planting as many hints and wh- whether they're in the ARG or weird little details or weird little hints and planting just seeds of story that get paid off uh, seasons or episodes later. Like I'm all about that. So I love the fact that there's so much discussion and theorizing around what are these reveals going to be? Uh, I love it when the hive mind gets together and I love reading all, all of the theories on Reddit, on Twitter, on discord. Uh, and for this season in particular, I think people were guessing the price reveal as early as, um, that, that scene with, uh, with price and, and white rose where you see that kind you see that reaction on price's face when he learns that, um, white rose, you know, white rose brings up Angela and, and brings up, brings up the lawsuit. And you see that kind of moment, that hint of vulnerability. I think people totally latched onto that and totally read into that and were able to call that. And I think it's, uh, it's kind of baked in. Like if you go back and rewatch the pilot with having known, you know, after finishing season one, you go back and rewatch the pilot, you're going to pick up on so many hints that, you know, no one's making eye contact with Mr. Robot. The blocking of the characters are hinting at the fact that like, 
no one's talking to both of them at the same time. And one of them will always take center stage and kind of take over for the host body, so to speak. So it's a lot of fun to throw these hints in there and craft the story with the reveals in mind and, and be a part of the, dis- and, and actually from afar, watch the discussion take place with, upon our, with our viewers and these podcasts of, of you guys trying to guess it and, and figure it out. And, um, you know, the, you know, you know as well as I do that people guess the prison reveal uh, from the first episode of the second season, uh, and they were analyzing even you know the patterns on the walls and the way that Magda was acting and uh, just 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 throwing all these theories out there. And it's not it's it's not our goal to kind of outsmart you guys. It's not our mission to be to have like a, a gotcha moment like, oh, none of you thought about this. It's more about a earned, impactful rush of insight. And I remember taking a screenwriting class a long time ago, and they said that uh, a fulfilling ending is one that you don't really expect, but once you learn about it, or once you see it, once you're exposed to it, you realize that it couldn't have gone any other way thinking back. So that's kind of what we're going for. We, we want those rushes of insight where, yeah, if you had guessed that Price was Angela's dad prior to the finale, that's great. But that doesn't change the fact that watching it, watching it, watching it uh, play out on screen was an emotionally was an emotional turn for you. And the way that it was intercut with what was going on with Grant and White Rose and the barn with Darlene and Elliot, like the way that we executed it. And, you know, the things that you learn about Elliot and, and Darlene about Elliot's past on the subway, like the, there's so much in the execution of it that I think that's really what we that, that's what we strive for. It's, so it's not really about the reveal. And if you look at if you think about season three, when we sat down to break season three, we really tried to free ourselves from all of that. We were like, let's let's do a classic thriller story a classic thriller reveal where you know we're not going to have a major set piece reveal like uh, who is mr robot in season one or where is elliot like in season two um and it's more going to be a function of uh the 71 buildings and the 71 buildings is one of those reveals where uh once you realize that it's heartbreaking but thinking back on it you're like of course they did that. Why wouldn't they do that? It makes perfect sense that Tyrell and the Dark Army would do that. And it makes perfect sense that Elliot wouldn't think to anticipate that. And whether you were able to call that or not, and we actually did have one Redditor who was able to um, call that ahead of time, which was very impressive. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make the reveal less impactful. It doesn't make the story less impactful. And it's um, it's 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 it's. It's it's all about that 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 experience, the execution and the experience, and that rush of insight. Well, and the big impact of that, of course, is that Elliot didn't see it coming. That he was the exploit, and that he was the one who was the problem. And the the payoff of that is in episode eight, and that isn't just paying off. And I'm going back to why it's my favorite episode, but that's not just paying off that. It's paying off what Elliot says. Like I went to therapy, I went on drugs, I went to, I put myself in jail, and I couldn't get rid of this guy. So it is a payoff of all of that, and it makes natural sense that this is where this guy would turn next, especially after he jumped or pushed out the window, jumped 
hooked or pushed off the rail. This seems like a very natural place for him to be contemplating in episode eight in, in line in light with that. So it isn't just Definitely. that the audience is is the one that the, the payoff is for. The fact that you're able to make that resonate so well within the character is, I think, re- really propels the action forward and why it works really so well because it generates that after effect. So, and, and actually, yeah. thinking about it now, now that you say it, uh, it strikes me as the, the difference between that reveal and the prison reveal let's say um and maybe this is why uh the 71 buildings i mean it's 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 terrible uh but i think it's more emotionally impactful because it's elliot you're with elliot as elliot learns about it whereas the prison reveal was more elliot keeping things from you his friend because he didn't trust you enough with the story right so it's it's something that he needed to right. to, to do to, to kind of cope with the situation that he was in and he didn't let you in on it. Whereas in this one, in season three, you're with him every step of the way. And he it, you know, you, you both you and Elliot are duped at the exact same time. So I think that's why um, that that kind of empathy and that connection with Elliot makes for a stronger emotional reaction when you learn about, you know, oh, holy shit, like not only did I not save that, did I not stop staying? too, but I was instrumental in making it uh, much worse. Right. Yeah, my reaction at the end of the prison reveal, I mean, I believe that's where the one flew over the cuckoo's nest is playing. Uh-huh. The lights go off in the prison cell, and Elliot's like, can we still be friends? Like, And he smiles, and you see the whiteness of his teeth as the lights go out. And I, I don't think I was ever more scared of Elliot than I was in that moment, because I, I realized like this guy like had a little bit of fun lying to us. Like He yeah. felt okay with what he did, and yeah, this is what he's capable of. So the, the, it was definitely a very separational moment. I wasn't yeah. with him in that moment. I was duped not, by him. Not to go, not to get too meta, but the reason he's upset with you in that moment is because you knew about Mr. Robot right. before he did, and you right. didn't tell him about it in season one. So right. it, it's it's like the reveal. It's a reveal built on a reveal built on a reveal, which is which is a weird way of thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the prestige and the it's a, the turn and all of them at one. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the season, in season two, he says, like, I'm sure you'd like to hear what I said to Krista back there, but I'm not sure I can trust you yet yeah. after after what happened. So it is it, it is definitely in line with that, and you definitely yeah. feel the surprise. Um, I think we probably have time for just a, a little bit more uh, here before we got we to gotta start wrapping up. Um, I know that I've got one that I want to ask you, Cor, but... Antonio, how about you? It's Fidelio. The answer is Fidelio. No, I don't think I don't think it will be. I don't think it will be. Antonio, what do you got for for Corey? If you've got no, one, I, w- I want you one to go because I, I want to know. I want to know what you. I want to know what you have to well, say. I, I want to make sure we get that in for sure. Well, I think it's 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 really you know you're you are saying goodbye to these friends, Cor. Uh, you are saying goodbye to to Elliot and Angela and Darlene and Philip Price and Mr. Robot and Dom DiPiero. Uh, you are saying goodbye to Fernando Vera as he is saying hello again to us. Um, I'm curious about the fact that as you are saying goodbye to these characters, you're also presumably about to say hello to some new characters in this very secret project that you are currently at work on, whatever your next story is. So it's kind of a two-parter. One is, what is the process of saying goodbye to these people that you have been living with for the past several years of your life uh, on, in this really incredible creative um, creative relationship that you've been building with these fictional characters and what are you interested in in terms of people and stories and emotions and uh, themes and ideas that you may now be entertaining as you're preparing to invite some new friends into your life mm-hmm. um, so I'll answer the first part by saying 
I fell in love with the character of Elliot, just like everyone else did when I first saw the pilot. And I fell in love with Sam's vision and developing the the collaboration I had with Sam and the other writers and our whole team has been such a satisfying and moving experience. And uh, it is the height of my career. And I'm, I'm not I haven't been prouder of anything else that I've done in my entire life up to this point. So I'm so I can't I can't tell you how proud I am of, of the work that we've done. And it's weird because it didn't really hit me how emotional and how kind of difficult it would be for me until my last day when I went into the writer's room to say goodbye to everyone. I was just going to say, you know, there are some new writers there for season four and I was going to give Sam a hug and Kyle and Courtney. What kind of hug? You know, is this like a a Vera Vera hug? hug? Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't a Vera hug. It was a, it was a thoughtful, it was a nice hug. Okay. Um, And I wasn't expecting to break out in tears, but I did. And it was, it took me completely by surprise because I, it it finally became real for me that I was leaving this thing that I love so much and experiencing it with you guys every single week and watching the feedback and watching all the cuts and being going, you know, being every, being there every day on set. And, and like, not only am I attached to these characters, like, like you said, um, but I'm attached to everyone who helps create these characters and creates this world and creates the show and saying goodbye to those friends is much more of a, um, kind of a heartbreaking milestone moment for me than saying goodbye to the characters because in a way I feel like the characters are always going to be with me and I um you know if I need to if if there for some reason I need to tap into Elliot for some reason or tap into any 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 other any of our other characters I think they're accessible um just to me in my mind and my heart and the way that I operate as as, as a writer as as a as a as a creative person uh but the it's it's harder to to know that you know you might not be working with these guys again or you know if you do work with these guys again it'll be on some other project and it won't feel the same and it won't be something it may not be something that everyone's so passionate about so um there's one thing i can say for the people who work on mr robot it's you could always tell that everyone loved the story and was there to service the story even if we were fighting with each other even if we were arguing and we had epic arguments in the room on set it was all in an effort to service the story because everybody believed in it so much and i think that's a rarity i don't think you find that on every single show um so that is what i that's what's been challenging about this and um you know i'm going to work hard to keep those relationships uh as i move on in my career but that that is a sad uh end chapter for me in, in my life um to answer the second part of your question uh sort of my wheelhouse of what i'm drawn to thematically are stories about connection and technology and you see that is very clear in mr robot and the contributions that I've made to Mr. Robot are in the realm of human connection or in Elliot's case, um, his inability to connect, uh, on a human level and, uh, his usage of technology and, um, creating a narrative that serves as an allegory for our, you know, the way that we operate today or the the way that society functions today. Uh, So in terms of next projects that I am uh, moving forward into, those themes are definitely apparent. Um, So I I see some, um, 
that's a little bit of sci-fi, uh, a little uh, something in the sci-fi wheelhouse that having to do with technology and connection. Like the, uh, I think the the genre of I, I've heard robot being called the tech a tech noir thriller, and I think that kind of um, perfectly su- summarizes what what I'm all about uh, as a writer. Nice undead Mobley spinoff show confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> I do not want that. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> that sound, but but the ideas sound fascinating and exciting. I I find myself to be, I that's it's certainly a, an issue that is prevalent in our society as we silo ourselves away into uh, channels of information that we self-select, and as we create these networks around ourselves that that generate information that create a worldview within us because we've siloed ourselves away into these comfort zones. I find the technology, as much as it encourages me, it, it frightens me. So well, I'm fascinated by that. It's something that I'm constantly dealing with. And I don't, and I think that's uh, an exploration that I'm trying to um, find the answer to. It's, it's, it's as, as we experience these technological advances and as we're, you know, we're, 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 we have these tech, basically these supercomputers in our hands and our pockets that we're, that we're carrying around with us. Um, does that technology help or hinder our ability to connect with each other? And depending on how you use it, it does both. And right. so it's, uh, it, 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 it's it's hard to find a balance there and i don't know it, it frightens me as well but it also intrigues me and fascinates me which is why i'm so drawn to that kind of, that that subject matter and you know mr robot does a lot of this too so it's not like i'm um i'm leaving to do something completely completely different uh it's uh it's 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 definitely where my heart is and and what i feel passionate about cool excellent all excellent. right antonio i give it to you to close this thing out what do you got for core no, I mean, I really, you mentioned Vera. That was the, let's go post-credits on this or mid-credits roll. Uh, I just am a little bit curious. I, I, I think that I've read that, that Vera's reveal was always part of the plotting for this particular scene. Uh, and I don't want to get into Fidelio territory, but I just, I just wonder at what point that that started that we realized that you realized in the room or that Sam decided in the room or how that process originated that this was going to be Vera because a lot of people wonder like what's his place in this story now that we've gone fully global we have a Bond villain in the mm-hmm. story we have all these things possible timeline altering moments uh, and now we're bringing a, a, a drug a drug kingpin back into the mix yeah. that was dispensed with in a few episodes in season one uh, I, I'm wondering like what at what point that that was a decision and, and some of the thinking that went into that I mean, in, in all honesty, I, I think that from day one of the season three writer's room, whenever we were talking about broad strokes for the season, what is Elliot going to be doing? Who, what are our forces of antagonism? Um, you know, is it going to be White Rose in the Dark Army? Is it going to be some other factor? Um, what's going to be happening with Angela? And I remember someone threw out, I can't remember who threw it out, but someone threw out the idea of Vera coming back because, you know, he's, he's obviously not dead. Uh, and we, we, we've talked about bringing him back in, you know, in past rooms in, in the season two room. Um, and immediately, and I think Sam made this decision before the, the writer's room ever started, that season four was going to be about, was going to be the, where we bring Vera back. So I think he already, he, he walked in with that, with that decision already, uh, that decision already made. And every time we were stuck and we didn't know what to do with White Rose or we, we were stuck with, you know, what, what's going on to kind of push, uh, to amp up the tension and create conflict for, 
for Elliot, whenever we would throw out Vera, the answer would always be no, we're saving Vera for season four. So I know that's not a great answer because it wasn't a mu- there wasn't too much discussion about it because it was just kind of a mandate from Sam saying that uh, I, I'm, I, I'm attached to this post credits coda in season three and season four is going to be when we bring Vera back. And um, I mean, I can speculate as to why he wants to do that. I think part of it is uh, it was appealing to him to I mean, we love subverting expectations on this show and you would expect that uh, some, a, a villain that we seemingly did away with in season one would come back in season two. And if not in season two, then definitely in season three. And I think that he wanted to delay that another season and um, treat that as uh, a season three reveal that would lead us, that would kind of carry us uh, over our hiatus into season four. Um, but in terms of the, the the risks associated with that and what's going to happen on a story level and what kind of conflict that's going to bring to our world i i think that's fidelio territory okay okay i like it wouldn't it be uh wouldn't be a final podcast of season three of mr robot here on post show recaps without one truly firm (laughs) fidelio uh so i'm happy with that core thank you for everything uh, it has it has been such a pleasure getting you on the podcast here. A true delight getting to to email back and forth with you all season long for the columns. Really stoked, Brian stoked uh, to see <laughs> to see what you've got coming up next. And I hope that you will knock on our door and not forget us, little guys, as you are blowing up here uh, in this universe. I think it's it's great. It's super deserved. We are very excited for you and can't wait to see what's coming next. Yes. Thank you so much. And I will definitely be knocking on your door. Um, you can be sure of that. And uh, I have to say thank you to you guys for having me on the podcast. It's a blast talking to, to to two fans who really understand what we're trying to do and are as passionate about it as you guys are. And uh, the insights that you guys have week to week and the questions and the really thoughtful questions um, that, that lead to really intriguing and fascinating discussion. Um, uh, thank you to you guys for putting in the time. And uh, I you know, I, it's it's apparent that this is a labor of love for you guys. So um, it's 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 great to see that, and I'm I'm just so happy to be a part of it. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, and now we're like a little bit rudderless, and Antonio. I'm realizing right now, like, when's our next podcast together, bro? It's going to be. I don't a know. We'll have to find out. We'll have to find our flipper. What's going on here? <laughs> it's going to be a little while. You and I are signing off here, and we don't have any plans in the immediate future to do the next thing. Leftovers is gone. Mister Robot is going off the air for who knows how long. What do we do? What happens now? It's the people, end of many people, earth, guys. <laughs> yes, people need to tell us what to do. We can't. Right. We can't possibly wait until Core Show comes on. So we'll have to figure <laughs> something out. All right. So you guys can give us your thoughts on that matter through our feedback form. Is a great way to do that. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. You can also tweet at us. Antonio is on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzaro. How many Z's? How many R's? Two Z's, one R. I am at Round Howard, like Ron Howard, but rounder. Core, you are on the Twitters as well. I'm on the Twitters. I'm at Coradana, K-O-R-A-D-A-N-A. All right. So tweet your your questions to Core and expect uh, a mighty hashtag Fidelio in response <laughs> every single time. <laughs> Everybody, such a pleasure having you guys along for the ride here as we've been picking apart Mr. Robot Season 3 all season long. I do think our four-part finale coverage has finally come to an end here in fairly epic fashion. Thank you again, Core. Thank you again, Antonio. And thank you thank again, you, everybody who who's been listening. Take care, everybody. Goodbye, friends. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.